Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along with us, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. Yeah, and if you have any questions along the journey with us as you're listening or as you're reading along, feel free to send them in to us. We'd love to spend time every week answering some of those questions as they come in. So you can send those into info at grove.church, or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. Just search us on Facebook, The Grove Church. We're in Marysville and Snohomish. I uh, would love for you. You should see like a little green leaf with the G on it. That's our kind of our, our, our brand, if you will, our logo. Uh, give us a like, send us a message. Um, we'll try and answer those questions in our weekly podcasts. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as resources that we're using today, uh, we're using the ESV Study Bible, Logos Bible Software, uh, the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary by J.D. Douglas and Merrill Tenney and Moises Silva, um, and the Baker Encyclopedia of Bible People by Mark Water. I love Moises because it's fitting for Moses today as we talk about Moses. Yeah, so that is that is our topic today. We're doing a character study of Moses, who, um, I mean, man, he's got to be, other than Jesus, the one who's written about the most in the Bible that we have the most information on. So Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Evan's concerned that we might be going really, really long in this podcast. I'm so. hoping I'm hoping to keep it to our normal time. So we're just going to kind of have to, we're going to have to power through, as it yes. were, um, not get too sidetracked. I'll keep my comments to a minimum. Um, and I think we might we might cut down on the uh, the Q and A portion at the end too. So we'll see yeah, we'll see tuned. where we're at when we get there. Either way, we'll get your questions answered. They just might not happen this week, right? So keep sending in. Yeah, and also thanks for uh, if you might notice that this episode is a little bit later uh, in the week than we normally get it up. Uh, but this week, just with everything going on, uh, we pivoted back to drive-in services, which was awesome. Um, but as far as like the tech stuff, that's just a ton of work. Yeah. So it was, uh, and we've got a big event we're doing this coming week, uh, for the, the food banks here and our, our local communities. And so that's another beast that we've been taking on. Yeah. So, so we appreciate your grace and patience. We're trying to catch up, uh, and make sure that we're trying, are the goal is to not skip an episode. And I have time. a new infant, so that's true. you can blame me. Classic. You, I'm the reason why Evan couldn't record this last week. Blame right. me. Uh, so I guess just to get it started. So Moses's birth and early life, um, I mean, boy, his his early life is really interesting. There's not like yeah, totally. There's not a ton ton written about it. It's just kind of like the first couple of chapters of Exodus. But I mean, there's there's a lot that mm-hmm. happens. Um, so at some point, uh, the population of Israelites in Egypt were enslaved by Pharaoh. So if you remember um, from the story of Joseph, there's a giant famine. Joseph is in Egypt, and he brings um, his father and his brother. Basically, he brings his whole family over. Uh, to live with him in Egypt and the people of Israel. So not just his immediate family, but it would be all the servants, all of kind of like the, the extended family as well. Um, and so eventually over the course of a long time, uh, they grow into a uh, a population of people. They grow into yeah, their own nation. A large population. Yep. And I they, so- I think they outnumber the Egyptian people. But. Oh yeah. Uh, so we don't know exactly when this happens, but at some point um, a Pharaoh, whether it's the same Pharaoh in Exodus or maybe an earlier one, but it kind of hints at that it's the same. Um, yeah, there was a change. There was a change in Pharaohship, if you will. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, that's when they realized someone spoke in their little ear, "Hey, these people, if we don't corral them, are going to take over." Right, and that's when the enslavement happened. And so, yeah, the enslavement happens, and then even later on, uh, something even worse happens, which kind of I, I wrote down in the notes. It, it echoes of Herod, which is kind of interesting. But uh, Pharaoh hmm, makes I a law that. that says that um, all the all the Jewish boys under a certain age um, had to be killed. Uh, they had to be thrown into the river. I think it was under two years old. Yeah. So, which would really echo the Pharaoh law or the, the Herod law that comes in later in the in the New Testament. But that happens. Um, Moses is burning. Bur- Moses is burning. Moses is born <laughs> during this uh, time of oppression. 
and his mother makes a basket and places him in the river Nile, um, basically in the hopes that something would happen because her options were, she couldn't keep him because they were going to find him. So her options were basically throw him into the river with nothing or throw him in something that floats yeah. and, and really hope. And again, like we, we say it's a lot, but it is important not to just skip past Bible passages. Like really think about like, that's an incredibly painful decision that yeah, Moses' sure. mother um, is making there. And the, and the faith that she has to have that, that God would provide in that moment. It, it really is just, um, it's a heartbreaking story yeah. as far as that goes. Um, but it, but it ends, it ends up well because uh, Moses, his basket ends up floating through the river. Um, if you watch the Prince of Egypt, he almost gets eaten by crocodiles and hippos. So, But he doesn't. But he doesn't. He makes it through. Uh, but anyway, I love the Prince of Egypt. It's a great movie. But um, he, he makes it to uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And so one, I think it, I can't remember if she picks him up or if one of her servants does, but she sends one of her servants in to pick him up. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, so he is, Moses is raised as a member of Pharaoh's court. Um, and so one of the differences, as long as I just brought up the Prince of Egypt. So one of the differences in the, in the actual biblical text is Moses is aware that he is Jewish. Um, that's not like, there's not this big moment where all of a sudden that's revealed to him as a shock. It's just kind of Pharaoh's daughter just loves this baby. Pharaoh's like, okay, fine. You can raise him. So he's raised as like, not necessarily like a member of the family family, but he's a member of Pharaoh's court. He's a member of that whole, that yeah, whole thing going on. Um, I should have read the, the story of Moses before today, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's a servant or is it his sister that kind of observes some of the reeds and then sees that he's picked up his by, sister and then Miriam. And then isn't she called over or something like that. And then that's when Moses is then, you know, nursed and taken care of by his mother. Yeah. So his real mother um, gets to full circle. God yeah, got it. Gets to basically help raise her own son, which is like, I mean, it's not probably the, the, um, the best way, but it's, it's better than nothing. Yeah. So in light of everything that happens and the fact that she could have lost him, like that's a win, win, win. Yep. So all of that's going on, which is, which is really just a, a great thing. And Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court. Um, and this is what's really important because Moses is, and I think we talked about this way back in the very first episode of the podcast, but um, Moses was uniquely situated to to do what God was calling him to do. Mm-hmm. So number one, he was raised in Pharaoh's court, which means that when God calls him eventually to, you know, spoiler, to go back and uh, and uh, to basically negotiate with Pharaoh for the release of his people, well, he is known to Pharaoh and he's aware of Egyptian politics. Yeah. Um, number two, he would have been well-educated. Um we don't know what the literacy rates of the Israelites were at this point, but if they're enslaved, it's probably not very high. And Moses, uh, we know, writes the first five books of the Bible. He writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and most of Deuteronomy, except yeah. for one part, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, stay tuned. Stay tuned for the one part. But um, really, none of this would have been possible if Moses was not um, if Moses was not raised in Pharaoh's court, which is really just a it's a cool thing. Yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful picture of God's provision and providence in the midst of some tragic situations and even a tragic context. Yeah. So we don't get a ton about between now and then the next event that happens, but uh, like we said, Moses is aware of his heritage, and this would lead to one of the defining moments of his life. Um, which, so, if Aaron, if you want to read Exodus two eleven through fifteen, we're going to see. Um, a real turning point in the story of Moses. Drum roll, please. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Starting verse 11, it says this. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Uh, He looked this way and that, not seeing, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian. In other words, he killed him and hid him in the sand. 
he went when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to, to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me like as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of, heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian as he sat down by a well. So there you go. So Moses, uh, he goes out, he sees a Hebrew being abused by an Egyptian. He kills the guy, uh, which is not. I feel like sometimes it's like it's portrayed as being like this really great thing. But, you know, like I've, I've found in my life that murder is usually not a great first uh, first reaction to when you're angry. So, well, the interesting thing, too, is like and, and we didn't say this in the notes because I didn't really put anything down from the the book. But I was reading uh, kind of not reading, but gl- glancing through a book by Charles Swindoll about Moses, a char- full on deep character study about Moses. And he talks about Moses's anger issues. And we'll see it played throughout Moses's life, these different moments of this like outburst of anger. Um, And it's just interesting because I never thought about that before. Uh, And so then reading back to the, one of the very beginning passages or whatever, uh, it's kind of unique and interesting just to realize like Moses was not a perfect man. Um, And obviously when God, the different things and we'll see it, but he just was, he was also angry. He had anger issues, uh, which gives me hope because there's moments I just burst (laughs) into anger. Well, that's one thing I love about the Bible too, is that all of the great, heroes of the Bible, except for Jesus, are very imperfect people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Bible's not shy about that. You know, if you think yeah. Moses, David, Peter, Samson. Paul, Samson, John, like pretty much any, any famous- Any of the judges. Yeah, oh, all the judges. But Gideon. Um, there really is, um, there's this theme throughout scripture where God doesn't use perfect people because perfect yeah. people don't exist. Nope. Um, so he uses people for what- essentially they can be used for and he calls them into greatness, even if they don't always measure up to it, but that's just the grace of God. That's the grace of God in salvation as well. So true. Um, So anyways, Moses makes his way to Midian, which I was curious where Midian is when we were studying. So if you think of most of us know where Egypt is and then there's the Sinai peninsula. And so Midian is on the other side of the Sinai peninsula. So you kind of have to cross two seas as it were. Um, you don't actually have to cross them, but you cross past the Red Sea and you cross mm-hmm. past, I forgot what the other sea is called, but you know, some, I don't know, some sea that's I can, there. I can look it up, but it's over by Yemen. I trust you. So, but anyway, that's where, that's where Midian was, which I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, and he would spend 40 years here, um, which is, I mean, that's a lifetime. <laughs> that's yeah. a long time that Moses spends in Midian. He would be taken in by Jethro, um, who is a priest of Midian. Um, and he's kind of an interesting character, uh, as we go through, he's, yeah, he's Moses' father-in-law, but, you know, spoilers, he marries his daughter. Um, Whose name is Zipporah, by the way. Zipporah is a great name. If you're looking for a baby name for your for your future baby If I have a daughter girl, again, that's the next one. I'm disappointed you didn't go with Zipporah instead of Esther. That's yeah, kind of Esther, lame. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but anyway, so Moses chills in Midian. Uh, he eventually, like we said, he marries Zipporah. He has two sons uh, with her, and he keeps... Jethro's flocks. So he's a shepherd, which is also a very common biblical theme that a lot of the great heroes of the Bible are shepherds. Mm -hmm. So um, particularly in the Old Testament, I suppose. But I think there's just something poetic about that. Uh, But Moses eventually, uh, speaking of turning points in his life, um, he was walking, he's going after, uh, he's just tending his sheep and he sees a bush and the bush is on fire, um, but it's not burning, if that makes sense. Or I guess a better way, I think the way the Bible says it is that, is that it's burning, but it's not being consumed. Yeah. So in other words, there's fire going on, but it's not turning black. Um, there's not like this crazy smoke coming up. It's just kind of, there's a fire on this bush. Yeah. So that's weird. That's not a thing. Sure. <laughs> I mean, think about it for a second. Like it's, it's not a normal day occurrence. 
Uh, and one of the things I remember some of the speculation from some scholars was um, that the bush had been burning for, you know, a couple of days or a week or so before Moses actually stopped to, to, to turn aside and look at it or yeah, see maybe. what was going on. So Moses sees that and then all of a sudden uh, God starts to speak with him through the bush. And so this is what happens in Exodus 3 verses 7 through 15. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, which that alone is a great verse because yeah. it says that God hears us when we cry out to him. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you, that I have set you, uh, that I have that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So, I mean, pivotal moment there, yeah. because not, I mean, we get God's name for the first time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, God asks to be referred to as I am, which in Hebrew is Yahweh. Um, and that would be, I mean, it's it's an incredibly, in, in Jewish culture, um, they won't even spell it all the way. Yep, they'll, they they'll take the vowels. Yep, they take the vowels out. They just put in the consonants because they have just such reverence um, for the name of God, the name that God has to be um, referred to by. Basically, they don't want to mess it up is, yeah. is how I've had it explained. So, um, but this is the first time all through, which is interesting because you think of, you know, Adam and Eve, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all throughout all these stories, God never actually um, gives a name to be referred to by. He's just called the Lord God or whatever, which are titles, mm -hmm. but yeah. not actually, even when we say God, that's not a name. That's he never self-identifies. Right. And then in this moment, um, when Israel is being oppressed, when his people are being oppressed and he's choosing <coughs> to save them, I don't think it's insignificant that this is the moment that he chooses to say, this is yeah. who I am. Um, and really... This is when he starts to build the nation of Israel, his, his chosen people. So really a, a really beautiful moment. Um, but Moses can't, you know, Moses ruins it. So he's, Thanks, uh, Moses. he's very reluctant to answer God's call. Um, he says that the people will not listen to him. So God says that he'll perform signs and demonstrates them by turning his staff into a serpent and giving and curing leprosy. So what he says is essentially, these are the signs we're going to do. Throw your staff on the ground. Uh, Moses does. It turns into a snake. And then he says, pick it up by the tail. And so Moses does, and it turns back into his staff, which is really, I mean, that's cool enough. That would have, me, that would have me convinced. I mean, if Everyone's that, like, I'm in. I mean, maybe I shouldn't speak, because I, I mean, who knows how it actually reacts, but I feel like, okay, this seems legit. Um, but Moses needed more. And so he's like, 
God goes, which I feel like God was kind of laughing in this one because he goes, you stick your hand inside of your cloak and pull it back out. And Moses pulls it back out and he has leprosy, which is like this horrible, incurable disease, disease that just rots away at your skin. Like it, it, it was basically a dense sense. And so Moses, I'm sure, is like freaking out. And then God's like, put it back in. And then he pull, put it, puts it back in, pulls it back out, and his hand is fine again. So I feel like God got a kick It's out funny because as you're saying, I, I didn't think about this until probably just now, but when Moses goes back to Egypt to talk to, talk to Pharaoh and he performs these, some of these signs, uh-huh. has, Pharaoh has magicians that do the same thing. Right. They turn their staffs into snakes and then turn them back. And so there's part of me that wonders if Moses had already seen that kind of thing. And he's like, God, that's not enough. Oh, like, maybe. I don't know. Like there's part of me, it's like, I wonder if it's like, God, that's not enough. Like people have already seen that. That's- and, and it's good that you, you we do it. Awesome. But there's they need more. That's true. I never thought about that. But yeah, right, he, until he, grew, about it. he grew up in court. So, I mean. Yeah. So, he, and, had, he would have seen, he would have seen some of these, these things for sure. And the magicians were certainly ready to, like, it wasn't yeah. like they took a couple of days. Pharaoh was like, oh. hey, do this. And they're like, oh yeah, the snake trick. Sure. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yes. Interesting thought. I have my moments, bro. Uh, and so anyways, after all of this, uh, Moses then tells God that he, he's not eloquent enough. This is the, this is one of my favorite passages. Oh, right, I preached on this. It was like a year ago now. How often do we give excuses why we can't do something for God? And it always boils down to, I'm just not comfortable. Anyways. Right. I love this passage. Uh, And so, well, you know what? If you love it, I'll let you read it. So Exodus 4, 10 through 18, uh, Moses says, I'm not eloquent enough. And then God just throws down with this. Yeah. So it says this, Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to me, who has made man's mouth? Who is making mute? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, "O oh my Lord, please send someone else." Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, "Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? What not me, but the other Aaron." I know. I who who named their kid Aaron? Um, it's my name. It's a better name than Evan. Whatever. Anyways, back to the Bible. It says, I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you for, to the people, for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth and you shall be his God to him. And take in your hand his staff, this staff, which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see where they, whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So a lot happens there. There's a ton that happens there. Yeah, I do love, I love um, when people question God, how so different his tone is just depending on oh, it. Right. Cause like we were just talking about Job a while ago where God basically is just like, oh, dress for action like a man. And then this one is just like, again, it's, it's almost the sarcasm, which I love when God is just kind of asking rhetorical questions that just make you feel dumb. Cause like, oh, Moses, who, who made man's mouth? Who makes him like, who do you think you're yeah, right. talking to, man? And so um, he calls Moses to go. And I also love that Jethro um, basically just lets him go. Yeah. Like no questions asked. Him. Yeah. He's like, oh, go in peace. So uh, Jethro is certainly a good father-in-law uh, to Moses. So, but there's some weird stuff that happens later that we didn't get a chance to research, but next week we'll, uh, yeah. we'll talk about that a little bit more. So yeah, t- stay, stay tuned as it were. Um, and so Moses regarding one of the questions, we didn't get a chance to actually dive into it. So we'll spend right. time next week answering that question. Um, so that happens. Moses goes, I think Aaron, I, I didn't write down exactly what happens, but I think Aaron meets him like on the outskirts of Egypt and then they both go in together. Yeah. As they like head that. out, Moses and Aaron, sh- or Aaron shows up just like God said, Hey, your brother's coming out to see you and mm-hmm. he'll be delighted to see you. 
So there you go. Uh, they make their way into Egypt and they demand the release of the Israelites from slavery. The best part about this whole thing, though, is you see the majority of the time in Exodus, it's actually Moses talking to Pharaoh. It's not even Aaron talking on his behalf. Yeah. Um, and so even as Moses was sitting there saying, hey, God, I, 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 I can't speak, I stutter and all these different things. It's actually Moses who's a lot of the ones that has the communication. And this is off This is off the top of my head, so I could be wrong. But I think Aaron does most of the communication to the the people of Israel. Yes. And then Moses does a lot of it to um, to Pharaoh. So it's, it's an interesting. Well, and it makes sense because I'm pretty sure if I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Moses and Pharaoh, they've grow, they grow up together before Moses flees. Yeah, we don't know that? how, we don't know how old. But there's a connection Pharaoh, there. They. Yeah, while Moses was growing up, he is certainly aware of who the current Pharaoh is. Yeah, so um, he knew of him. Maybe even spent some time as a kid with him. But. Yeah, I don't think it was as chummy as like like Prince Egypt no, makes that no. to be. We're yeah, like, right. you were my brother. We were best but, friends. But uh, yeah, yeah, they certainly know each other. It's kind of like how you and I feel towards one another. You were my we're brother, Anakin. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> Star Wars reference. Yeah, you know, it's close to May the Fourth. Um, anyway, so this happens. Uh, Pharaoh says no. It's the famous line, you know, "Let my people go." Um, it's just like, you know, classic Moses line yeah. right there. And so there's 10 plagues. And so um, every time Pharaoh says no, there's a new plague. So the first one is the water into blood, um, which, which personally- magicians perform as well. Yep. Would have been enough. Uh, would have been enough for me to say so like, gross. you know what, let's- Can well, you imagine it, seeing the Nile turn into blood and fish? Well, and that's the thing die. too. Like in Egypt, they're not living in this like reigning paradise with rivers everywhere. Like the Nile is the river that yeah. the entire nation relies on. And it's even like- so I remember when I was crescent. Yeah, when I was learning um um about Egypt when I was a kid, I remember it always confused me because Upper Egypt is south and Lower Egypt is north. But the reason because the way the river, flow, yep, river the way, flows. Because it's the, the culture was so centered around the river. The, if the river flowed one way, then that was the lower. Is the Nile the only river that flows south to north? No, there, I'm sure there's. I mean, I'm sure there's more. There's got to be more. I don't know. I just remember. I'm just trying to remember my world history stuff about it. I'm sure a lot of But the literally rivers. the Nile was the the life source for Egypt. Right. And so turning water into blood, turning the Nile into blood is significant. Um and it's a very big deal because in essence it's killing for whatever stretch of time the life source to Egypt. Right. So that happens. That's the first one. Pharaoh still still refuses. He asks him again so then he sends him frogs right. which seems which seems right. like a less important like a less intense plague than the river but water the frogs blood. are everywhere even in the even in the temple courts which is a big deal true because that whole point of the temple courts is supposed to be sacred uh so with frogs in there bugs in there whatever like that's a big deal so fun fact i just went tadpole fishing for the other oh yeah for the first time the other day because there were did, some mosquitoes did you catch a frog i caught i caught four so frogs no, or tadpoles tadpoles because they you put them in the pond and, and they, they eat the mosquitoes them. and then boom you got some yeah so anyways Brilliant. uh number three speaking of things that frogs eat gnats so those came in at the just third plague uh, the fourth plague is flies. Um, the fifth plague is death of livestock. So now we're getting pretty intense here. Um, not that the other ones weren't intense, but number six, boils. Um, so, which, ah, oh, that sucks. <laughs> like yeah. all of a sudden everyone's just getting these horrible skin diseases. Oh. So that's what's happening. Yeah, we're kind of just like- I just got the creepies. The chills down your spine. Uh, number seven, hail, really intense hail. Um, yeah, not these little pebble-sized things we get around Washington State. Oh, yeah. but, I mean, I remember in Virginia when I used to live, like there was golf ball size, softball size. Uh, but I mean, this is, this is significant. This was damaging to crops, damaging to facilities and buildings and stuff right. like that. So, so that happens. Number eight, locust, which is Eat also everything. Yep. Also damaging to crops, all of that stuff. Number five, number not, not, not five, number nine, darkness. Um, just in the middle of the day, all of a sudden it just goes dark. Hello, um, darkness, my old friend. which this one, 
I think you can kind of connect the dots on how all of these plagues apply to different Egyptian gods, but the two that are really obvious is, um, and this is really like the first, the main two gods that are worshipped in Egypt. Uh, you have Ra, which is or Am- Amon Ra, I think is the full thing of how you say it. Good work. Um, but he's the sun god. And so obviously with Egypt, um, they're an agricultural society. So the sun is very important to what they do. And so this is, uh, you know, Yahweh God basically demonstrating like, no, I'm in control here, not this rod that you made up. Um, and then finally, the 10th plague, which I'm sure a lot of us know about is the, the death of the firstborn. And this is kind of like, if, if you think of in the sense of Osiris, who is kind of the god who, of Egypt who um, died and is in the underworld. And I, I, I'm not super up to date on my... Egyptian mythology, like I, I used to be, but um, he, he applied. In your old age, you've forgotten. In my old, when I was a, when I was a kid, I liked looking into that stuff. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's, it's basically a direct attack on that one as well to say that well, God is the one who is in uh, Yahweh is the one who is in charge of, yeah. um, of life and death. It's not any of the other. Egyptian yeah, and that's gods. the point of the plagues. The point of the plagues is to to reveal God's sovereignty, His omnipotence, His you know, His everything. Right, and you know we. We in our own worlds create gods about certain things, and so even to point blank, go to the go to the Egyptians and say, "Hey, listen, you have someone you believe that oversees this. I'm actually the one God who oversees all of this." And so, it's not just punishment, but it is revelation and it's revelatory. That's part of the per, part of the purpose of the plagues. Yeah, and so that all happens, um, and then finally, after that one, uh, Pharaoh changes his mind because his son dies, and yep. so um, it's tragic, I guess, that it took that long because it's yeah. not just pharaoh's son it's all of egypt um it's the firstborn of everything and yeah everything and the, living and the only way that you avoided that is if um god told the israelites basically sacrifice the ram um take its blood put it over your doorpost and the angel of death will pass over uh your homes which is where you celebrate yep. passover there you go which is uh to this day we're aware of passover um <coughs> it's right right by easter um but in the in jewish culture it is like it is the high holy day of judaism so i mean i guess that and yom kippur so are like the two big ones so mm-hmm. um it's just basically being aware of that it's 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 yeah it's a really it's a really beautiful passage supposed even in the midst of the um the sadness of what's yeah. happening that god is protecting his people and then he also tells them um make bread, <laughs> like make some food. Cause you're going to get out of here. Don't leaven it, uh, which basically is what makes it nice and fluffy. So uh, it's just, I mean, basically crackers, I guess. Longer. Yeah. So they were told to and make they some to, food. They leave quickly. It's not even a, Hey, tomorrow we're leaving. It's like, let's go. Well, we're out. and I think Pharaoh's kind of like, basically yeah. a, he's kind of like, get out of here and B God is aware that he's going to change his mind again. And so he's yeah. going to, he's giving his people time to get to where they need to get to which you know, is coming up next. Get, so, get ready. Uh, Pharaoh allows the Israelites to leave, uh, but he soon changes his mind and the armies of Pharaoh catch up to the Israelites at the Red Sea. So this is on the, the west side of the Sinai Peninsula. And in Exodus 14, 10 through 25, we get this passage. Uh, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly, which again, don't just skip through things. That would be terrifying. Yes, if you have absolutely. this sea to your back and you realize that there's this massive army coming to kill you. And they're not happy. Like sometimes people, and here's the thing, the people of Israel totally deserve to be dogged on about like their lack of faith in God. But in this moment, like that's terrifying yeah. to, to see coming after you. Uh, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Which that, you know, 
come on guys, let's have a little bit of faith there. Uh, is it not, is, is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to his people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The, the, uh, then the, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. So again, kind of an extension of the plague narrative. God is, he is demonstrating that he is, yeah. he is fully in charge. Um, and that whatever, whatever power you think you have is either power he's delegated to you or it's power that you don't actually have. Right. Uh, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming uh, between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near to the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst on went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord, uh, and in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked back at the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. I didn't put in the verse where the walls fall. That's interesting. The walls fall of the sea. Yep, the water, the water <laughs> yep, falls. And all they're up. swept away right after that. I don't know why I didn't include that verse, but uh, that's what happens there. And so this is kind of, I mean, I, this is probably the most famous part of Moses' story. It's hard to say because there's so many famous parts, but uh, the parting of the Red Sea is like definitely a big deal. Yeah, I think anybody I think anybody you talk to has an idea of the parting of the Red Sea. So. Right. Especially because of Bruce Almighty, that helps a little bit. But. Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Deep cut. Uh, I was, my mind was going to uh, the Charlton Heston thing where yeah. it's like so- I think that's a few generations ago. That's probably true. I just love how like kind of fake it looks now, but at the time I'm right. sure it was like- Cutting edge, bro. Oh yeah, that was the way to go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this happens, um, God kind of declares once and for all that he's in charge. And this is the last time that the Egyptians borrow the Israelites, um, for a long time. It's like, in, I, th I don't think it's until like Kings when we really start to see the Egyptians start to bother the people of Israel again. So, yeah. but the Egyptians never really become a powerhouse again from an empire standpoint. I mean, this is kind of the, the fall of their um, tyranny, I guess, if you will, because yeah. even looking at forward in the new Testament, they're not as a dominant factor in biblical history, and I, if I remember correctly, even world history. Yeah, well, by the time, by the time of Jesus, they're a vassal state of Rome um, and Greece before that. Mm -hmm. So they, it is weird, like when you just look at history about how old Egypt is. Like, and this is a totally just a tangent, but the fact that like in the time of Moses, like they're getting ready to go in their their decline as the culture. Yeah. Um, 
And I read this the other day and I thought, I thought it was just so interesting, but there is, um, so to, uh, track with me on this one from the period when the py- pyramids were built to Cleopatra is a longer period of time than from when Cleopatra was born to now, if that makes sense. Hmm. So like when, so like it's just, it's crazy to think it about crazy. How, how old, um, yeah, there's a lot of history that a nation lot of, is. Yeah. A lot of, yeah. A lot there. And then and then they went and tried to sass God and look what happens. See what happens. Get get overthrown, Egypt. Um get wrecked. So and so this next uh this next section is just gonna be called Moses in the Wilderness. There's a ton to talk about. So we're we're kind of just gonna do a cursory overview. Um Yeah, there's just a few highlights we've taken from it, but it, it really is this is one of the deepest parts of Moses' story. Um and we don't have nearly enough time to do it justice. And but. what's interesting too is I think it's it's the most ignored part of Moses' story. Because I think everyone, what we've just been talking about for the last 30 minutes, everyone's aware yeah. of, of that part of the story. But then um, there's like, there's three more books, three and a half really, yep. uh, when you think about it. Because it's like half of Exodus is after the Red Sea parts. And then you've got numbers and Deuteronomy. So two and a half books. Uh, yeah. No, three and a half. And, De- and Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, I mean, to be fair, Deuteronomy does take a portion of recap is what it is. It's more of a recap of, of the his, Israelites' history and what God has done to them. I mean, and you made the point that, you know, Israel gets a bad rap for their faith and lack of faith in God. Um, but then the other side of that coin is the fact that God has done a lot for his people and how quickly they are, just like we, are to forget everything God does. And that's the turmoil. That's the chaos. So, yeah. uh, and that's why you find in Deuteronomy there is a very major recap of everything um, as Moses is trying to remind his people before he dies. Yeah. To be fair, uh, I don't. I I think Israel deserves most of the grief it gets at this point. For sure. I think there's just a couple points where it's. But like, I think we do too. Yeah. And and that's the thing is it's it's really easy to sit in the seat we sit in. And my wife and I are talking about this about this same concept in a different conversation. But uh, how hard it is to know the end of the story. Um, we know the end of the story. We know what God does. Sure. Looking at scripture. And then we was like, Israelites are stupid. How can they not trust God in this journey? But then it's, if we stop for a minute and think about our own stories as followers of Christ, you know, as people of faith and in this journey in relationship, it's so easy to do the same thing. Well, God, you haven't answered yet. Like what? And God's like, I, I actually answered that same prayer request 10 years ago with this situation. Um, and so it's very easy to forget what God has done. Well, it's crazy to think that this generation of Israelites, they see the 10 plagues go down mm-hmm. and they get to the Red Sea. And granted, they haven't seen God part water yet, but they're thinking to them, it's like, okay, well, we can't get out of this now. And then God parts the Red Sea, they go through. That like that to me in and of <laughs> itself, and God forbid I, if I ever fall in that, which I'm guaranteed to do it because I'm human, but that in and of itself, like, God, you can do anything. You yeah, can that, part the waters? That seems like that would be, but not, not long after uh, we get to this this next story. So God, they get up to Mount Sinai. Uh, oh, God man. calls Moses up there. He's for, uh, I forgot, is it 40 days that, there, that yeah, he's up there? I think it's 40 days. Okay. So he's up there for a while. Um, and then it's, as far as Exodus goes, it's a huge portion of Exodus mm-hmm. that God is basically downloading, like, here's the law um, to Moses. Here's and the he's, stone tablets. Yeah. All that different stuff is happening. And so while Moses is up there, right after they see the Red Sea part, the Israelites are like, well, He's dead. We've got nothing left. Um, let's make an idol and worship that instead. The funny thing is, though, is like, and, and I don't know where exactly you were going with it, but I remember, I remember reading about this passage in passing years ago, and they talked about the gold idol, the gold calf, um, and they referred to it as Yahweh. They referred to it as God. It's almost 
Like Moses was their symbol and representation of God to them. You know, Aaron was the communicator, so to speak, and they're nowhere to be found. I guess Aaron was there. Um, but then it's like, Aaron, what do we do? Moses isn't around. Aaron's like, got it. Give me all your gold. We're going to make an idol. And this is going to be God. This is going to be the version they, of God we worship. Do they actually, do they refer to it as Yahweh? If, if I don't remember. This is where I, I, I probably should have revisited it. But I remember in like, interesting, like they were like their purpose and their intent from what I remember and understanding was that this is, this is their, they're creating an idol and a craft to represent Yahweh, the God that they serve. They weren't trying to worship a separate God, right. but they were worshiping a version of God because they didn't, they didn't know what else to do because Moses was gone. He disappeared. I mean, think about it for 40 days in some respects in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't seem like a long time. But if I'm away from my kids and my family for 40 days and they don't have any communication from me, what's their minds going to go to? He's done. He's you think done. you'd at least, you know, send, like, send a couple guys like, hey, Joshua, go up there and just check in. Yeah, check and see how he's doing. You yeah. know, Aaron, but, where's your brother? I don't know. Uh, yeah. So speaking of Aaron, Anyways. freaking Aaron's like, okay, let's gather up all the jewelry. I love it when Moses comes down because there's two ways to read it. Because Aaron says that he threw in all of the jewelry. And out popped this cat. So the two ways to read it are either A, something supernatural, probably demonic happened to where a golden calf was shaped. Yeah. Um, or B, and this is the way I choose to read it, is that Aaron's just being dumb. He's like, I, huh? I just threw it in yeah. and out came this calf. It was incredible. Like, I don't know. Like it just was kind an of act to, of God. Yeah. Just trying to make like excuses for it. So maybe that's the wrong way to read that passage. But I I, I see I see humor in the Bible where I can. Oh, for so sure. That's just the way I do it. But yeah, I don't know what how I think. I don't know if I've ever read that in a certain way. I just, I've, but I also grew up in church. So they talked about this is how it happened. Yeah. They worshiped a gold calf. It began. So. And, and ultimately, so Moses comes down. He's so mad about this. He throws down the tablets and breaks them. Again, Moses has an anger issue. And yeah, he, I mean, yeah. I don't know if this, this seems like appropriate anger. I mean, God was angry enough to kill them all. But God, but God was also angry enough at Moses for breaking the tablets. Yeah, that's fair. And so Moses Moses may have a righteous anger, but his his response and his, the, the reactionary part of it is where he, Moses got, if I remember correctly, he got reprimanded when he went back before the Lord in the mountain. It's like, what did you do with the tablets? Oh, I threw them down and broke them. Well, I got to make new ones. And so if I remember correctly, there was some of that tension where it, it, Moses slams them down out of frustration and anger, not just righteously, but just out of reaction. So, yeah. So there you go. I mean, just to kind of read, I have this passage lined up. I don't know if we'll read the whole thing, but uh, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. So this is before he gets mad. Yeah. <clears throat> He's so happy. Uh, lucky. Tablets that but were didn't didn't, the, didn't God say, "Hey, you must you got to yeah, go down, go down and see on. what's go down and see what's happening." So he has these two tablets in his hand. He's walking down the mountain. Oh, what's going on? Uh, I, I think he tells him that there's something wrong. I'm sure he does. He doesn't. Like, I'm sure it's not to the full extent of like you're worshiping whole, a freaking cow. The whole time he's walking down, and he's like from, from, from holding these tablets. Um. So, anyways, uh, with two tablets of testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved onto the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he so said- So they couldn't send Joshua because he was already up there. I forgot that. that was I forgot bad. too. Uh, Where when, was Aaron when you needed him? Aaron, oh, wait, he was playing with gold. Classic Aaron. Uh, but he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. As soon as he came to the camp, uh, came near to the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned out and he threw the tablets burned out hot. of his burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. 
He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire. And this is my, I love that he does this and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. <laughs> so that's a new punishment I'm going to enforce with my kids. Does like, does just Moses kidding. have an anger problem? Sure. But that's rad. Like That's just, oh, you love this calf. Do you drink it? And so that's what Moses does. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. And he's referring to Moses there. Uh, you know the people that are they are set on evil. Classic for they Aaron. Said, for they said to me, like, like Aaron, hey, Moses, it wasn't me. It was these people. Like, they're just the worst. Um, little, little Adam and Eve there, I yeah, guess. it wasn't me. An echo. Uh, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this... Uh, Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose for the, uh, to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered around him. And then he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate, uh, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companions and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each of you uh, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that there might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to his people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if, uh, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But go now, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague upon the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Which oh, I also see, love. Aaron made it. I also love that on the, the very end, like they, they give Aaron credit when he, tries to, when he tries to shift the blame to the other people. Typical Aaron. Yeah. So there you go. That's one of the more famous passages. Um, in Exodus is actually when it takes place. It was pretty early on, yeah. but it's, it's just almost right out the gate. Oh yeah. And then, and this is just a cycle that we see with Israel throughout its whole history mm-hmm. where they see incredible works of God. Um, and then they turn away from him and then bad things happen. God gives them grace and they're good for a little bit. And then they just go back again. And it's just like, and every, I don't every single time you see it happen, you would just think that like, Clearly, this is the turning point, right? Because then you see all of a sudden, okay, right. God God sends a plague, which, you know, is that as miraculous as the Red Sea parting? I guess not. But I mean, still, that's something else. But then like later on, and I mean, we don't have time to talk about this, but the sons of the Korah rebellion. Yep. Not, sorry, not the sons of Korah, but um, like the the earth opens up Swallowed and them. swallows them. Like it's a sinkhole. Like they literally just do this thing where he's like, okay, you want to rebel? Everyone who's with him, stay here. And then they just make a perimeter and then the earth just, See ya. <laughs> yep. I mean, I don't know. It's just crazy to me how like you just, but it, it's also, it echoes our own lives yeah. where we see God do amazing things and we always dip away. Um, and just, this doesn't end with this generation of Israelites. Yeah. Now, now God's anger burns against them and he actually eventually says that, um, and this includes Moses, that mm-hmm. this generation of people 
they don't get to go into the promised land. And in fact, the only people, uh, the only people of that generation who get to go are Joshua and Caleb, yep. who are young men. Um, and eventually they would go on to- They're both um, faith-filled, obedient, and want to follow what the Lord has said to them. Yeah. I think Joshua is the the next episode that we're doing on the podcast. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Is it? It's either that or Joel. I don't remember. Yeah. It's one of the two. It's a J. Uh, we'll say Joshua. Boom. So anyways- But it's probably going to be Joel now. Anyways. That, so that happens. Uh, the Israelites would stay in 40 years, um, eventually changing over- uh, generations like we just talked about. Yeah, uh, we have Moses struck a walk, a, a walk, a walk. He struck a walk, <laughs> he struck a walk. and he I, made, I put this one in there, and he um, made fried rice. I, because delicious. this is I, this is a significant comparison and contrast moment in Moses's life because it's when he literally is told, "You're not going to the promised land." Part of Moses's whole call is to lead God's people through the wilderness to inherit the land that He's promised them from day one. Uh, and in Moses 17, and I'll, I'll try and kind of read through it because this is the comparing and trash contrast uh 17 exodus chapter 17 1 through 7 it says the entire israelite assembly left the wilderness of sin moving on from one place to the next according to the lord's command they camped at refidim refidium uh but there was no water for the people to drink so the people complained this is this is the israelite people's mo they complained they complained they complained classic israel and so they complained to moses give us something to drink why are you complaining to me moses replied to them why are you testing the lord but the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did they ever, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Uh, the Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they, they will stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take your staff. You struck with the Nile in your hand and go. I'm going to stand before you there in front of you in the rock of Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out and the people will drink. Moses did the sight of all elders of Israel. He named the player Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord not among us? And so at first there was a moment of complaining and need for thirst uh, and Moses struck this rock and out came this water. Then you fast forward to Numbers chapter 20 where the, again, the people are complaining uh, and they say this, the entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month and they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died, which is the sister of Moses, and was buried there. There was no water for the community. Again, deja vu. So they assembled against Moses and Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had perished when our brothers perished before us. This is talking about the, uh, the, the death of a generation, so to speak. It says, why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Again, they're complaining again. They're hearing and complaining about their situation. Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain, figs, vines, pomegranates. There is no water to drink. Because one of the things that was promised by God to his people is the land you're going to inherit is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land of sustenance. It's a land of vibrance. It's, 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 a, it's a fertile place, a fruitful place. So they're complaining that where we were told we're going, we're not going. So then this happens in verse six of, of Numbers chapter 20. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting. They fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother are to speak to the rock while they watch and it will yield its water. You will bring out water from for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded them. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock and Moses said to them, "No." side note, nowhere did God tell Moses, now speak to the people. He said, speak to the rock. And so it was interesting because it says, Moses now speaks to them. Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? And kind one of his hey, anger problem coming up again, I yeah, suppose. And it's funny because one of the things that I was reading from this uh, Charles Swindle book, now that it comes to my mind again, 
is it shifts from God's going to provide water for you. Now he's saying, must we bring water to you? Must we bring water out of this rock? So somewhere between the moment with God and the moment in front of people, there's this moment of frustration. It's compiling, it's compounding. And he stands before the people and said, must we bring water out again for you? And so Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with his staff so that abundant water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. Now, the interesting thing is he was disobedient to what God asked him to, but because of God's grace, water still came forth to, to refresh and, the, and quench the thirst of his people. And then here's this. This is, this is why I thought it was significant. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I had given them. Moses' whole thing was his whole part of his whole call was to lead God's people to inherit the land flowing with milk and honey. Right. And in this moment of continual complaint and frustration and call it what you may be, he may have been tired and hangry. <laughs> he may have been just as thirsty and he may have been thinking these same things. But at the end of the day, he was disobedient to what God had told him because of that frustration towards God's people, where he even got up and preached a mini sermon about how rebellious and stupid and arrogant they are. And then struck the rock out of frustration, uh, almost taking credit from God. And because of that, God's grace is still abundant, but he's now removed from the ability to take God's people into the promised yeah. land. This moment was significant in, in the wilderness journey for Moses because he he no longer gets to inherit. He was brought up to a hill to die, which we'll get to his death, to see the land, but he never got to cross into the land, which was so significant. It is, it is interesting how... Um, the people of Israel are so willing to trade um, their freedom for comfort, right. I suppose, and like, and that can be kind Me of too. like that can be kind of like a political thing Me as too. well. But, my hand. Um, and like, in the sense, like God knows what's best, and He knows, like, no, I'm going to take you here, and you're going to be free to worship Me how you want. Like, you can do sacrifices and mm -hmm. build the temple, um, and all these incredible things. But like, how many times throughout? From Exodus to Deuteronomy, do they say like it would have just been better if we could be slaves in Egypt instead of uh, being free? But it's hard. If only we would have died in Egypt. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it. It makes sense that God kind of lets that generation die out because yeah. He was like, "We're going to need some." And Joshua and Caleb, like that generation, seems like they're pretty. They're pretty stoked. And we'll talk about them next week. Yeah. Um, if even if it was Joel, we'll do Joshua because <laughs> I think yeah, it, we're gonna, it, we're going to pivot. Pivot. Um, pivot. It's a good. It's a. I think it's a good. It's a good lead in. Yeah. Um, for what we're talking about, but. We'll talk about that more next week. Um, so that's kind of one of the last main things. Um, as you're reading through uh, the different the different books of the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the Bible, um, there's a lot of law in there that can kind of get you know hard to read. Bogged down a little bit. We did an episode on Leviticus, I think, in the at the beginning one of, of the, the earlier year. Yeah. podcast this year. Yeah, so check out that one uh, for kind of help reading that. Uh, but the last part we wanted to read is the the last chapter of Deuteronomy, and really this is where we say uh, obviously Moses didn't write this portion because it's, it's about his death. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that for a second and we'll talk about his legacy and then we'll, we'll wrap it up uh, for today. Uh, in Deuteronomy 34, it says, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is the opposite of Jericho. And the Lord showed him the land Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah, as far as the Western sea the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. 
And he buried and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So God actually buries Moses, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. I hope they can say that about me when I'm dead. Yeah, that's true. That's a great, that's a great thing to be said of you at the end. Uh, and the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of spirit of the spirit and wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not been a prophet arisen, uh, a prophet, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, to whom the Lord knew, Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all of his servants and all of in all of his land and for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And that's the end of Deuteronomy. So it's kind of just a nice recapping. of. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It makes me wonder when it was actually written. Uh, Cause this had to have been long after Moses's death before it was put in there because it talked about, there's never been a prophet. It talked about Joe's jo- Joshua and the leadership that he had, that God's people followed Joshua and obeyed yeah. him. Um, so there, there's a significant time gap between, um, the end of Deuteronomy from Moses's hand to the the writing of this, but yeah, probably. I mean, you could probably say it was when um, maybe Joshua and maybe the Book of Judges were being compiled. Yeah, maybe. that that sort of time. I can't remember. I remember. Knows? I remember we talked about it in my Pentateuch class a decade plus ago, but yeah, I don't recall it. And I think I love the line of um, "and there has not arisen a prophet since mm-hmm. in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face." And that really is kind of just like. His legacy, yeah. the, the legacy of Moses. Obviously, he has his failings, which we just talked about. But um, he eventually, even though it took some convincing, he accepts the call of God in his life. And he leads his people out of slavery in Egypt into the freedom of living in the land of Israel where they can worship God um, the way that God wants them to. He writes the first five books of the Bible, um, which are just incredible. Yeah. And, and, it's, re- uh, it's referred to as the law. That's what when yep. in all of the New Testament, when they refer to the law. Jesus, like this is this, when I, th- that's what they knew. The f- first five books of the, the Old Testament, like this was the Bible. Jesus read was the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So, yeah. and really, it's, it's the establishment of not the, just the people of Israel, but the nation of Israel. Yeah, yeah. It kind of happens first with Moses, and then really more concretely under Joshua and the judges, and yeah. eventually the kings as well. So, there you go. Um, I don't think we have time for a Q and A today because we're at like fifty no, minutes. We'll hit them up next week. Yeah. So we we got your questions. They yeah. were really good. Uh, so we will we'll answer them next week. Um, thanks for being understanding. As it's uh, yeah, it's a little bit hard in this season to uh, make sure that we're on time. But our goal is to make sure we're not skipping episodes and to try and get everything out there. So um, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for leaving reviews. Um, it helps get the podcast out there to more people. Um, and just as a final reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources at our website at grove.church.